Hello and welcome to Ashley at the Movies. I'm Ashley. And I'm Matt. And joining us today is our friend Garrett. Hey guys! We all just saw Oppenheimer, and Matt's going to tell us about it. Yeah, this is the new Christopher Nolan joint, <laughs> and it's his first movie since Tenet. It stars Killian Murphy as the titular Oppenheimer, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was considered the quote-unquote father of the atomic bomb. Um, he, he worked in Los Alamos, New Mexico, with a group of scientists on developing uh, the bomb in a race before uh, the Germans could, uh, so during World War II. Uh, this movie is uh, written by Christopher Nolan, and it's based on a, um, a a book called American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer, uh, which was co-written by uh, Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. And yeah, this movie kind of goes back and forwards through time. <laughs> uh, we see Oppenheimer when he was uh, at college in the UK. Uh, we see him during the development of the bomb during World War II and a little bit before then. And then we see him afterward in the, uh, predominantly in the 50s, uh, when the Red Scare, uh, is happening, the anti-communism, uh, uh, government frenzy is going on, and he's under investigation. Because in the 30s, you know, he went to a communist meeting or two. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's also got, uh, Emily Blunt as, as his wife, uh, Florence Pugh as his mistress, uh, Matt Damon as a, U.S. General Robert Downey Jr. as a Louis Strauss who's trying to get an appointment to a cabinet position that's not going well, and he's got something to do with Oppenheimer as well. So yeah, it's a it's a star-studded um, cast. It's also three hours. Uh, <laughs> Garrett, what'd you think of it? So I I really really enjoyed this movie. It's uh so it's kind of when we talk about spoilers. How do, how do we get? You know, it's a period piece of stuff that real things that have happened. But, however, it is also a story that, you know, my degree's in history. And I really didn't know, like, the before or after story about, I just knew, yes, yeah, the Manhattan Project, Oppenheimer. That's kind mm -hmm. of where the history books go. So I, I do like uh, kind of then focusing in on the man, you know, what brought him to the Manhattan Project and then what did he then do because afterwards the Manhattan project and the ending of world war two. So, um, I, that story is, yeah, not often told and told very well in this. Um, this very much is a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, I, he, uh, he's kind of what in the shtick of taking either kind of, trippy ideas and making them scientific or taking scientific ideas and making visual movies out of them. And so, yeah, how do you make a movie out of nuclear fission? Well, here <laughs> we go. This is your story. And it, they do a very good job. The the sound, the pacing, the uh, the special effects. I mean, I, I do have to say, and I'm actually going to harp on this a little later, but um, just absolutely brilliant, brilliantly done by Christopher Nolan to go along. Matt talked about the star-studded cast, almost a home run for each of them and their performances. So yes, this movie was just very, very, very good. Well, I agree. And I think it, it does an amazing job of making what's kind of a very talky film feel like something that's very urgent and um, fast-paced. It almost feels like a thriller, even though you're just watching, for the most part, you're watching scientists 
you know, talk about science and how to build this bomb. It makes it very interesting. And a lot of that is the, the editing as well. You know, you, Matt, you mentioned it goes back and forth through time. That keeps you interested. And you're always trying to kind of piece together what's, what's, what's happening. Um, you know, from a technical standpoint, the movie looks fantastic. Um, we saw it in IMAX. I think that's probably the way to see it, that or in 70 millimeter. Um, it, it looks beautiful. Um, it's the sound is great. Um, the score and Matt, you probably know who, who wrote the score, but I thought it was a brilliant score, um, really elevated a lot of the scenes. Um, but then the sound design itself is also really great. What I, what really struck me is the kind of use of sound that from other scenes in the movie that bleed into other scenes. Like we hear some sounds that we don't know what they are, but then later we learn what they are and it really kind of resonates. Um, I thought that was really great. Um, yeah. And I, I love the way that um, it addresses Oppenheimer's ultimate misgivings about um you know, his creation in a, in a way that's, that's very cinematic and, um, unusual and very creative. So I, yeah, I, I also love the performances. Emily Blunt as his wife and Florence Pugh as his mistress stand out for me. I loved their scenes. Um, so yeah, just, just really good. Ludwig Gornson did the score. And I do agree. It's really quite good. <laughs> I, first of all, I was wrong about this movie. I want to say it right off the bat. So uh, I read articles uh, a month or two ago about how Tom Cruise, and, and I don't know how true this is, but there were rumors that Tom Cruise was upset because his Mission Impossible 7 film was only going to have like one week in IMAX screens. And then um, Oppenheimer was pretty much going to take it all over. And, and I remember thinking at the time when I read that, uh, that I don't know. I mean, aside from a few scenes of explosions or, you know, nuclear fission, this movie sounded like it was going to be kind of a talkie movie. And I was like, I don't know why you would put this on IMAX. I don't understand. Uh, I, I would talk, actually, I would talk privately about that. <laughs> and now after seeing it, particularly in IMAX, I'm like, this is a movie I think you should need to see in the theater. And if you can't, see it in IMAX or 70 millimeter. Uh, but I think there's like only double digit theaters in the whole country showing it that way. Because this movie is it is a typical Christopher Nolan movie, and I say that in a good way that is in a is a cinematic experience. Um, I have heard some people ding the script, uh, you know, which he also wrote, because they say it's a little simple or people, the way they talk is not I don't know it's not uh, heightened enough or whatever. Uh, I I think that's fine. I, I I liken Christopher Nolan to James Cameron. Because James Cameron often writes the movies he directs, like uh, Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, Titanic. Those, to me, are all awesome pieces of cinema. And no, the dialogue is not uh, Proust or Ian Forster <laughs> or whatever else. But it is. Uh, it doesn't need to be. Because you can have a good enough script that works in tandem with really great direction and score and, and cinematography... And it's, it becomes an experience, and it, and it hits you. And I think that's one reason why James Cameron and, and, and Christopher Nolan have had, you know, billion-dollar movies worldwide, uh, because they resonate with people. They impact people. Um, so many people I've talked to that have seen Oppenheimer kind of, kind of come out of it a little shook, you know? <clears throat> it leaves you a lot to chew over. Um, I This is my second favorite movie of the year. 
it is uh, it is not without some things that I could uh, pick a, pick apart. It's interesting. So the the length it is is three hours. That said, and, and there were times where during it, particularly in the first half, I was looking at my watch. And at one point, I looked at my watch, and we were an hour and a half into it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, so we, we are only halfway through. And the thing is, I felt like so much had happened. I mean, I felt like I had already sat through a full movie. But to me, that's not the same as a movie being boring, or a movie needing to cut things out, or a movie whatever. Um, I, to me, that that just is the mark of like, oh my gosh, we're getting reading a lot. There's a lot they're packing into this, and I'm someone that actually really liked the, the back half quite a bit too. So, um, yes, I in one hand I felt its runtime, but on the other hand, uh, that's something that I was willing to roll with. Yeah. So this movie, I mean, it definitely kind of hit a lot of my buttons. Uh, I did not expect it to be a political drama. And it really was a political drama uh, centered around the Manhattan Project and then kind of how the players within that Manhattan Project had to work within the Washington sphere and uh, before and afterwards. So I really enjoyed that. And even the, the military aspect of it, I, it's, just, I, it's just stuff I never really even thought of. Uh, oh, because yes. Not only was the Manhattan Project a military, pro- there's also political consequences to all of that. It's really just really cool. Um, yeah, to me, the only things I can complain about was it's a three hour movie and you definitely feel all three hours. Uh, it's, it, you do have to, I wouldn't say be patient, but you do have to get all the way through it. And especially seeing the movie in a theater. Uh, it's not easy to not go to the bathroom for for three hours. Uh, so I hope I didn't step out during a very important part, but I did have to take a quick break. Um, I made it two and a half hours. And, oh, th- <laughs> and the only thing, because uh, I started uh, going through this in my head near the end of the movie, was it almost feels Oscar baity to me. Where uh, I started going through in my head what this like. This is a slam dunk. To be nominated for Best Picture, Best Director. Uh, And since you said the book, I thought it was original screenplay. It was going to be Best uh, Adapted Screenplay then. Uh, Sure enough, Best Actor, Best Actress, both supporting. uh, Editing, sound design, special effect. It's going to be not. I don't know if it'll win them all. But there's no way that they will miss these nominations for Oppenheimer. So it's like it almost kind of felt like no one is rubbing his hands together because to me my favorite Christopher Nolan movie The Dark Knight and it's one of my favorite movies of all time and so he's it'll be like the Scorsese you know he should have won it for Goodfellas but he won it for The Departed and he's like all right here I am Oppenheimer give me that Oscar (laughs) yeah I agree I think it's destined to to get a lot of nominations and probably win quite a few um I you know I don't have a problem with a three-hour movie um I think you know, I said at the at the beginning when I was first um, praising this film at the the way that it um, manages to make this subject matter seem so urgent and interesting and um, keep your attention. I should say it does it did that for me until it didn't, and that was probably in the last half hour for me. It just kind of lost some of the narrative momentum, and I it 
there were scenes, very dramatic scenes, where I felt like it was wanting me to feel things that I was not feeling. And I just kind of slowly was losing some interest. It's not to say I don't think overall it was a great film. Um, it, it did just lose me a little bit near the end. So I, I do feel like in this case, this movie was, a, was a maybe a little too long. Or it didn't. It was missing something to get me personally involved in it uh, during that last half hour. But that's that's my only qualm. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I, I, thankfully, it, it didn't do that for me. I was riveted until the very end, until the very last scene, till the very last moment. Uh, I was wrapped with attention. Um, it's it's interesting. So, like I said earlier, this movie goes back and forth in time. It does so the the scenes where it's him as a as a college student in the UK um, and in a little bit he goes to Germany for a little while too those are in color the scenes in where he you know he and the scientists are working on the bomb in the forties those are in color the scenes in the fifties where it's um, he's he a lot of them are the basically what I call most of the Robert Downey Jr. scenes. Where it's the uh, appointment process he's going through, or I should say, actually, I read about this afterward. It's the reappointment process. I don't know if they make that clear in the movie, but Robert Downey Jr. already holds this post. His character does, uh, it, it, or did in real life. This is just simply getting him reappointed, and that's that's where all the drama came through. Um, but th- those are in black and white, as well as scenes that take place in that time period where it's. It's Robert Downey Jr., Killian Murphy, and some of the other characters we've seen. They were all sitting around like a big table. And I don't know where it is, like some kind of ballroom or restaurant or something. And I call it, if you've seen the movie or, or if you do see the movie, you'll understand what I'm talking about, where they have to keep moving the floral display in the middle <laughs> of the table. That scene. What's weird about that is that they go back to that scene, I don't know, five or six times. And in all but one of those, it's in black and white. But then in one of those scenes, it's, it's color. And I was thrown because I was, I, it took me out of the movie for a moment because I'm like, wait, why, why is this scene in color now? The previous times you've seen it, it's in black and white. But this time it's in color. And then we go back to that scene like one more time and it's in black and white. So I have, <laughs> I have no idea what was going on there. But that, that's just a mild thing I'll notice. Uh, another thing I want to bring up. One thing I like about Christopher Nolan is he will employ actors and, you know, and most of his movies are nowadays big budget movies that get a lot of attention. But he employs actors who don't always get a lot of respect, it seems like, in the industry. But they're good actors. Uh, they just, but unfortunately, they kind of do a lot. Of, they, they work, but they work in a lot of lower budget films that not a lot of people see. Um, and who I'm thinking of, particularly in this film, are people like um, Dane DeHaan, uh, Josh Hartnett. Uh, even Matthew Modine. Uh, these are all really good actors. They, they just, in my opinion, they, and they should be doing, they should be in, in bigger movies, but they're not for whatever reason. And he has them in this. And the other example I think of too with that is, um, um, Eric Roberts, who was in The Dark Knight, uh, brother of Julia Roberts, who Eric Roberts is a good actor. He doesn't seem to get a lot of respect in Hollywood. So he works a lot, but he works in a lot of, Low budget movies that nobody sees. And he played, you know, the mob boss in The Dark Knight, and I thought he was great. And I thought, like, okay, this will be the Eric Roberts Renaissance. <laughs> and then it wasn't. Uh, but anyway, so kudos to, to Nolan for doing that. So I, uh, I had known that I was going to see this movie, so I kind of read up on it when 
leading up to it. And it seemed like all the the pre-press was about Killian Murphy and um, Florence Pugh and their, their sex scenes. And so uh, I was kind of expecting this to almost be a almost a, a love story and having Florence Pugh be the lead actress. And I, I just have to, what I wanted to add was, I really think that Emily Blunt, stole, and she is the lead actress, but as far as someone's performance that really pulled me in, it was absolutely hers. Every time she was on the screen, it was just, it, it, it packed a punch. And I, I was just absolutely blown away by it. I would agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm, you know, I mentioned her earlier. I think she was great. She has some of the best scenes, um, some of the best dialogue exchanges in, in the movie, for sure. And I just wanted to talk about, um, Matt, you brought up the black and white scenes. I don't, I don't know why in that particular, you know, dinner table scene, there was that one color um, shot. I'd have to maybe watch it again to, to fi- try to figure that out. But I did love the fact that the, those scenes, the kind of the Robert Downey Jr. scenes were in black and white because it helped situate me because the movie does go back and forth through time like you've talked about and having those in black and white I immediately knew where I was and so I found I, if for no other reason other than artistic it, I thought that was helpful mm-hmm. I would just think though that the older scenes would be black and white and the newer scenes would be in color mm-hmm. yeah I don't know why they did the opposite well I think m- most of the movie is the older scenes so I think maybe they didn't want to make most of the movie they, in black and white I I gotta tell you, while we're, this doesn't aside, I can't remember now what movie it was, but recently I was watching a recently made movie, and it was mostly set in present day, but it had flashbacks to the 1980s, and they showed those in in black and white, and I'm like, no, 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 we are not doing this. You at least done technical. <laughs> oh my gosh, that, I felt like an old man. Um, you know, it's, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the sex scenes, Gary, because I'd forgotten. I'd read beforehand about this movie. and um, Now, the stuff I had read said that there's, oh, be prepared, there's full frontal nudity. I mean... The shadows of it. The shadows of it. But when I hear full frontal nudity, I mean, I think you see full, as in, <laughs> as in the whole body, frontal nudity. If, unless I missed something, you see the upper upper body nudity of Florence Pugh. But nothing, nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. And you don't see really, you, you can tell Killian Murphy's nude, but he's got his legs crossed. <laughs> and here's the thing. It's not that I, I'm not saying, oh, I wanted to see everything, but I'm just saying to call it full frontal nudity is not, um, I will say, I, 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 I identified Killian Murphy below the waist oh. at, in one scene. Okay. Huh. Okay, and here this is this is not, this is something that means nothing here, but it's just uh, I think as a gay man in the 21st century, I noticed this, and I don't think it was intentional. But earlier-ish in the movie, in one of the flashback scenes to when Oppenheimer is a college age, he meets Heisenberg, who I know that name, and I should read more up about him in history. But he was, you know, another. I, I noticed this as well. Science. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so these two characters meet, and they're young college age men, and. The way they look at each other, mm-hmm. I thought to myself, "Kiss." Yeah, this movie could take a turn and become sort of become some sort of forbidden love movie. I knew it wasn't going to, and it certainly did not. Uh, and to my knowledge, at least Oppenheimer was never anything. You know, you don't think he was gay or in real life or bisexual, but 
the that was just a weird moment in this movie, and I don't know what that was about. It, it might have just been the actor. It just gave him <laughs> Heisenberg just gave him dreamy eyes. Yeah, it's just what I, I look at. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're interested. Yeah. There was definitely some electricity between. Them. <laughs> yeah, you said something other uh, else, uh, Garrett, earlier, and I can't remember now what it was. I was going to pick up on, but oh well. I'll, you know what? As as happens with a lot of these episodes, I'll probably remember a whole bunch of stuff after we get <laughs> done recording, and uh, and whatnot. But no, um, I I think this is uh, really good. It's good. Yeah, and I think if you can, um, you should see it in the theater. I know it's not easy for everyone, but you know, and Garrett, you're a family man. You got a kid. You were mm-hmm. able to, you were able to go out and see it. And yeah. It's, it's a great, so everyone wants to talk about, uh, Barbenheimer. Is that how they're saying it? Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I got to have a mandate with mm-hmm. my, my friend and, uh, my wife is then going to go see Barbie with her friend and I'm watching the baby while she's doing that. She watched the baby <laughs> while I saw Oppenheimer. Yeah. So we're recording this on a Sunday. Of opening weekend of both these movies, and I, I can tell already in the, in the trades, as they say, um, the, this, there's a, a kind of a tsunami of of, of uh, a box office bonanza going on here with both of these movies. They're doing really well, and I can say too, at least in our theater, I have not seen that theater as busy since like it was 11 a.m. too. It was 11 a.m. when we yeah saw Oppenheimer, and we <clears throat> Ashley and I went and saw Barbie right after that. Although I didn't stay for the whole thing, but that's another story. Uh, but yeah, it was just hugely packed. Uh, and I mean, I haven't seen it that busy since at least Endgame and maybe not since like The Force Awakens. Uh, so it was huge. Now, something else I'll just mention as a curiosity. I read online that the demographics for, you know, in, in North America, at least for people seeing Barbie was like 70% female. And just based on our local screening, I would agree with that, if not greater. And then the Oppenheimer demographics, I mean, it was just almost almost completely men in our screening at least which i mean i would expect that garrett did you notice what did you think of the cosplay that the uh, some dudes did when they went to oppenheimer <laughs> that, that, that's just so interesting i never thought of oppenheimer as like this uh why can't i think of the word but someone to look up to a, a role model mm-hmm. i always just kind of thought of him as the scientist that created the atomic bomb mm-hmm. but you know, that's what these movies are, though, right? Uh, it, we, we see it in sports, too, where you show up for the stars. That's why you show up. You want to see the, the greatest people and the greatest stories. And when you create a movie like this, yeah, it absolutely is. Crea- even if it's an anti-hero, you're creating a hero out of Oppenheimer. And now, granted, I, I got to imagine, because they were pretty young, right? They're young men wearing those suits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, th- they have to be just like, I want, I want to blow some stuff up. <laughs> but that, that is exactly why they, they were doing that. So, okay, it's a, it's a little weird. They're probably the people that annoy you on your street during the 4th of July. Yeah. Lighting off the fireworks and you want to go to bed. But, um, hey. I, I I got so excited seeing someone dress up as Darth Maul for Star Wars. <laughs> Let them have their fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's interesting. We can now say that Gary Oldman has portrayed both Winston Churchill and Harry Truman. That was him. Yeah. I couldn't identify, but it, I'm like, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Did a good job. He won the war on both sides of the continent. <laughs> yeah, that he did. That, you know that that. So there is a one scene with Harry Truman and the sides of the world, two different continents. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, after uh, uh, that scene was an interesting scene. So afterwards, I I did a little reading up because Truman refer in the movie Truman refers to Oppenheimer as a crybaby, and I was like, is that real? And apparently, it was. Um, he did he did refer to Oppenheimer as a crybaby because Oppenheimer had conflicted feelings after the bombs were dropped. Truman apparently did not. I, I can't tell, and historically, I can't tell if Truman did have a huge debate with himself about whether or not to order the bombs to drop. And then once he's the kind of person, you know, sometimes people will be really conflicted, but once they make a decision, their conscience is clear. And I have no idea whether he was like that or whether he just all the time was just like, yeah, let's do it. Well, the decision to drop the bomb in this movie yeah. doesn't include him at all. He takes responsibility. He does take responsibility, but I'm just saying, I think it was a design, but I think it also would have been distracting by putting a big politician in, in that room. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, yes, the order came directly from Truman, yeah. historically. But in the movie, they have this room, and he Truman is not in that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, one more thing I wanted to say about this movie, um, and this may, not, some people may not get this, but for me, I almost want to call this Christopher Nolan's JFK. <laughs> and the reason for that is I had a similar feeling when watching this as I did watching JFK in the theater 32 years ago. I saw it with my, my mom and my grandmother who were both big like JFK fans and also loved them some JFK conspiracy stuff. <laughs> um, but I like that movie. And that movie is a lot of conjecture. In fact, you know, it's a lot more conjecture than Oppenheimer. But it's a movie that um, I think like JFK... There's a lot of stuff going on in Oppenheimer that I don't care how well you research something. I mean, the di- a lot of dialogue is inventive, you know, like the conversations between people that are private or, you know, I mean, it's, it's just like, okay, we have the gist of what happened, but we just kind of have to like create some dialogue, you know, like, like a lot of movies do about, um, real people and real situations. And, and, and like JFK, it is a movie that is, you know, it is telling a particular point of view. And it, and it's, and it is, it is, it works really well. Both movies, in my opinion, work really well with the direction, uh, and the, the music. Cause you, as you pointed out earlier, actually, they do a lot to kind of pull the audience along and weave the story that they're trying to tell. And I mean, seriously, this on a personal level, not since I saw JFK have I felt myself. I've known I know I'm being manipulated, but I'm and I'm, I feel myself being pulled along, and I'm along for the ride. I don't know how true or not true at all it is, but yeah. So, any other thoughts, gentlemen? All right, so truth time, Ashley. What do you give this out of ten? I give it a nine out of ten. Garrett, I'm also a nine. I give it a ten. So it's a 9.3 from us. That is uh, Oppenheimer in theaters now. And if you're listening to this a few years from now, uh, watch it uh, however you can. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Thanks for joining us, Garrett. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah.